Wow, wow, wow. I have never, ever been more excited to unleash a Ceremony Circle podcast out to you, dear soul fam. Welcome. For those of you who are new, I am your host, shaman and author, Allison Charles. And today is the day. Today is a full circle moment, nearly an entire decade in the making, because you're about to meet the very first medicine woman and healer I was ever guided by source to work with after I had my spiritual awakening and divine intervention. Her name is Sarah Bamford Seidelman, and she is truly such a divine being. And in this episode, Sarah and I, we definitely talk about that session that I had with her 10 years ago and what it has been like for her to witness my evolution over this entire course of time. And we cover so much more mystical ground today. One of my favorite topics is soul retrieval. We get into what that is, the benefits it can provide, and Sarah's specific process for doing it. We talk about what the very first shamanic journey Sarah ever took was like, and the two main animals who were revealed to support her. Now, Sarah was a physician for 20 years before allowing her shamanic calling to truly activate, and she tells us the exact question that came up for her that ignited this entire shift and the precise steps she took to make that pivot. We also get into the weaving of her shamanic path throughout the years, the various places she was trained, ways she's been initiated, the fears she had to face, and the type of shamanic work that is most current for her. And one of the many juicy orbs we dive into is how shamanism and getting to know our planet and great spirit is a birthright for every living being when entered into with reverence and respect, but the true importance of acknowledging and honoring First Nations for being the ancient wisdom keepers throughout many, many thousands of years. And we talk about books. I'm sure a lot of you listening are also spiritual teachers, practitioners who also feel you have a book inside of you. Well, Sarah has written many, and as most of you know, my very first book, Animal Power, is out for pre-order right now and will officially be in people's hands in October. And in fact, one of Sarah's books is also around spiritual allies and animals. So we talk about what those book birthing journeys were like for us. And she shares her main tip on being both a medicine woman and an entrepreneur. And of course, you know, we cover all things ceremonies. After all, this is Ceremony Circle podcast. And Sarah tells in such an honest and hilarious way, one of my all-time favorite ceremony stories. And I'll just let you experience it for yourself. I don't even want to give too much away. And then at the end, she very generously guides us in a drumming journey to awaken our creative juices within, and we meet a spiritual ally who can support us in this process. So like I said, this is a most treasured and deeply near and dear to my heart episode. So I cannot wait for you to meet the very first medicine woman I ever worked with post-spiritual awakening, Sarah Bamford Seidelman. I'm just going to get right into this, Sarah, because, oh my God, I needed to hit the record button to, and, and not talk to you too much because I wanted to harness the power of this moment. 
And it's a really, really, really big one for me because as you know, but no listeners until this moment know, after my spiritual awakening and divine intervention, which completely turned my entire life upside down and changed the entire trajectory of my path this lifetime, you were the first, not just first shaman that I was instructed to work with after my awakening, but I believe in general, the very first healer that source guided me to, it was you. (laughs) I remember, I mean, I like to say, I remember every single person I've ever met with, but that's not the truth. But I remember our meeting and I remember a lot of things about it. And it was just such a, and it's been such a joy to watch you because I remember it wasn't too long after that, that you just like were shot out of a cannon and just started to share your gifts immediately. And I can say like, that that is not usually that, you know, sometimes it takes people years to put it out there, so to speak, or to feel ready to be out there sharing their gifts in the way that you did so openly and freely. So yeah. Right. Yeah. And in just that little bit of sharing so much is percolating up and, and this interview is already going the way I anticipated and actually intended for it too, is just this organic orb of flow because we have this, you know, almost decade long full circle moment that we're meeting in this moment. Because when you and I both, I know we separately, we didn't plan to, but we both went back in our emails to that initial email I sent to you asking to have a session with you. And it was almost a decade ago. Yeah. Yes. I mean that just saying that out loud and looking at you like my jaw kind of drops because for one, it just doesn't feel like that long ago. I feel like I heard your voice and worked with you kind of just the other day. But then when I do reflect back, you know, and you're sharing about, yeah, how I got shot out of the shamanic cannon and just, you know, yes, just all the activations that happened so fast for me, so much has transpired. And when I reflect to the past decade, how much I've changed and just all the initiations and all the learnings and humblings and immersions and ceremonies I have in the last 10 years been blessed to partake in. It's really, really astounding. So it's like both things all in one. It's like, I can't believe it wasn't just yesterday, but yes, at the same time, so much has happened. I'm a completely different person because when I worked with you, you know, there are definite things about that session. I remember we both remember the tree. And I'm going to circle back to that because it's actually very, very meaningful today. Uh, There was a tree that was outside of my Brooklyn apartment window that in our session was just via phone call because you're based in Minnesota. Right. And I was in Brooklyn at the time. And there was this main tree outside of my window that was like, my biggest guiding light and friend during that time. Because like I mentioned, you know, that awakening was so needed and it was the biggest miracle of my life. But when I met you, 
I was not in a quote unquote good place. I was in a, you know, I was very discombobulated. I was working through a lot of intense grief and anguish and, um, things weren't clear for me yet. I didn't, the, the shamanic calling that had always been inside of me had not been ignited or fully activated yet. So I was still in a lot of pain and confusion. So that tree was, you know, a big guiding, rooting, rooted, stabilizing force for me, especially at that time. And I remember as you were doing your journeying and and doing your shamanic processes for me over the phone, you saw that tree. So what do you remember? Did that tree just talk to you or how did you see it? I just remember you know, sometimes this, my helping spirits will show me something, you know, and sometimes the other person, like it connects with them and sometimes it doesn't. And at that time I thought, well, I'm just going to share this, you know, like I see this tree sitting, you know, that's so close to you. It's right outside your, like, I could feel it, you know, when I was there and I, you know, as a healer, sometimes what I see, you know, doesn't correlate with what the other person is seeing, but in that case it did. And it was just this sweet, you know, moment. And I think I just kept in touch with you. And I remember just thinking, wow, this is what it looks like when you just open up. I mean, many people will get this calling and refuse it for years, you know, like, and maybe you did refuse, you know, and I just happened to meet you at that point where you were on the precipice of saying yes to this hero's journey. But uh, it's been pretty awesome to see. And then, so I'm like, a. this is probably like two months ago, whenever your, your inaugural podcast episode came out, I happened to catch it and it was you and Marie Mabuni and it was so incredible. And I felt like it was just for me because it just came at this time. It was so powerful to listen to two female shamans, two women um, really just claiming their gifts. And I forwarded it to a couple dear friends who are medicine people and they just like, oh, that was such a breath of fresh air. And it was just really powerful. And I was like, wow. And I loved hearing your story of Rockstar Shaman because I had never heard the backstory. And it's like, oh yeah. You know, so it's just, I'm just so proud and and inspired, you know, of you and like what you're up to and, and these beautiful ceremonies, like making it so accessible for people to sit with themselves, sit with spirit to receive those activations, those messages, and and not be afraid to act on them. Mm. Yeah. Thank you so much for all of those reflections. And I often thought of you regarding that first episode because Marie, you know, is also a doctor who, you know, made that big pivot. And we're going to definitely get into your whole voyage with all of that as well, because you're also, you know, a, a physician and and a medicine woman in every sense of the word spiritually, and you you were also a physician. So, yeah, when I got to know Marie and got really close with her, I would often think of you and our conversations and her sharing her own trajectory. And yeah, I mean, I I have wondered throughout this decade, off and on, you know, because the way my calling very clearly revealed right out of the gate and continues to instruct me is 
for my work to be very out and very public and on social media and sharing about shamanism and consciousness and spiritual teachings through the media and to the mainstream. And so, you know, and, and randomly little bits here and there throughout the years, we, you and I have kept in touch. So I have been curious for you, you know, in meeting me at a, at a low struggle point to then seeing me throughout the years, I have been curious, like, if any thought came up in you just in witnessing my evolution, because you would be the perfect person to ask because you've also devoted to the shamanic path and you met me before I realized my calling and then saw me step into that calling. So what has that been like for you to watch me do it? Well, I think for me, it's like this understanding that like when we get called, it is not a, usually it's not a pretty moment. I mean, we are not feeling up to the task whatsoever. We are like, who, me, what? I can't help anybody. I can barely help myself, you know? So I think it's just like, I see myself in you. I mean, my path, you know, very similar, this strong, strong calling, you know, maybe a little different because my, my, my background isn't media. Maybe the universe wasn't training me for exactly what it was training you for, but I just see no. And that you had that courage to just do it. And like, and now what I see you're doing, it's like, oh my gosh, just the generosity, the, just the power, the, the claiming of it all. And it's just, it's just, no, it inspires the hell out of me, like your path. And I don't remember thinking of you as like, you know, it's like people come as they come. We're all just humans. You know, I don't, I don't remember it that way at all. It's just, yeah, really beautiful to see you stepping into that power. And especially as a, as a woman, because I think when I started on this path, you know, not too long after, I mean, not too much before I met you, because you were one of my, you know, one of my earlier clients, it was hard to find female um, role models. And just like when I was in medicine, I desperately needed to see what does it look like for a woman physician to stand in her power, you know, when other men are around. Like, and I remember this one woman, I watched her and during a surgery, you know, we would do these consults for the surgeons and some of them were kind of rude and like full of ego. And one day she just showed me like, she just basically, you know, spoke to every man, you know, addressed them by their first name, which was an incredibly leveling thing. So she'd just be like, Bob, um, here's what we've got, you know, and immediately it was like the floor has been leveled. And cause that taught me. So listening to you and Marie was just so inspiring. And, and I have another person who's a colleague, who's a, a real mentor for me. Cause I, it's just beautiful to watch what it looks like for a woman to own all of her power. And it is really awesome. <laughs> yeah. And yes. And, and that has been a thing that has not been the easiest aspect of my journey at all, but it was a very clear instruction right out of the gate that I was to use that title and, you know, and to do exactly what you just said. It has been reiterated throughout this entire decade long voyage for me of, I am to hold that space. I am to take that space. I am to hold the space of a woman shaman and use that name and be that and embody that and learn the best I can and keep evolving the best I can. But I am to hold that space. So yeah, thank you for seeing that in me and, and reflecting that today. And, you know, I do want to really touch on that first session though, because I was trying to remember how universe even connected me with you. Do you recall in our phone call? Like, did I tell you how I found you? Cause I don't even remember how I found you. 
I don't. I do not recall. I did find, I think I sent you a little image of something that was part of the healing that I sent back to you. But other than that, I don't remember. Um, yeah, but- it's one of those because when I, after that awakening, I had my surrender moment where I just, you know, realized I was not who I w- thought I was. Life is not what I thought it was. The relationship I had just exited out of was not what I thought I was. And so I then surrendered and said to great spirit, great mother earth, like I am devoted to learning and growing. So show me the way. And somehow after that surrender statement, you were that first stop of the show me the way. And yet I cannot trace back and recall like how I even came across you. But I remember messaging you and I just remember your grace and generosity and kindness of spirit because at the time I couldn't even afford to work with you and your rates are really reasonable. I went on your website and to this day, I don't even know that you've upped your your rate amount. And I thought, wow, that's so beautiful. Like to work with a powerful medicine woman like yourself, you make it really accessible. And so I want to thank you and honor you in that way. And, you know, 10 years ago, like I just said, your rate was very reasonable, but I just was not in a financial position to be able to pay you the full amount. And I remember, you know, telling you that, and you just were so loving and accepting. And I was, I think I could give you $75 and you were just like, great, here's the PayPal. And I can't wait to work with you. So I just, I don't know. I just wanted to thank you for that. Your kindness. (laughs) Well, that all comes like straight from spirit. They were like, you know, he post your rates and then, you know, let people know if they want to come, you know, to pay whatever you're able to pay. And I've learned so much about money and all these things, you know, like it just doesn't belong to me and it's none of my business. It's just like, I gotta, I'm here to do the work and, uh, yeah. That's so beautiful. And so in that first session, I believe, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, you know, because you, you did your connecting in, tuning in and and the way that you do it, I believe I heard some rattling And in that session, was there soul retrieval involved or how did that, that image that you drew at the end that you sent me that we still have, how did that come to be? What was, what were were you doing in that first session with me? So there might've been more, I mean, there may have been soul retrieval that happened as well, but one of the special healings that my teachers, my spirit teachers have shared with me that I learned along the way is this, where I go to them and they must have recommended this, a spirit design healing. And I just go to my helpers and they create a unique one-of-a-kind design for a person that will heal them. And we bring that, I bring that and install that in the person. And then at the end of the healing, I'll show the person the drawing of the design. And sometimes people have this like immediate, oh my gosh, you know, like some kind of aha. And sometimes it's much more mysterious and it's not something we need to understand with our mind. But sometimes later down the road, you know, somebody will contact me a day later, a month later, two years later with this photograph of like whatever that was, like they'll Mm. see that symbol out in the world. And um, when I saw it, it, when I just saw it reflected on the symbol that was, or the design that was given for you, I was thinking almost like it looked like a seed being held in this womb that, you know, like the seed of potential. I mean, that was just, the spirits usually don't tell me like what it means. It's just, this is, this is the healing. But yeah. I don't know what you saw. 
Yeah. You know, it, it, for me, what it has just been a, you know, one of those great mystery transmission and teachings that didn't necessarily clearly reveal when I saw it, it resonated and it was impactful and it felt potent and very medicinal, but I, yeah, with my mind, I couldn't connect a certain dot. And, um, and when I was reflecting on it again, just in the last couple of days and, I took, you know, a few moments to to tune in to see if there would be a full circle moment like, you know, big revelation and the, and there wasn't necessarily a, a big moment like that, but the essence that I got was more along the lines of what you just said of um yeah, just being held, being so fully supported and yet protected. And and perhaps um, if I feel called, I'll, you know, include this soul design that we're talking about in the show notes that I put up in my website. I'll, I'll feel into it if I want to include it. And if I do, you'll see a little bit more about what we're talking about. But there was something about it that just felt Yes. So held and supported and protected. And there I was that, yes, that seed in the middle of this new open sea and world of the shamanic path um, that was revealing to me. And yeah, just the, the infiniteness of the nature of when you do embark on this path, everything is infinite in terms of what we can learn and how we can grow. So it was fun to reflect on that. And let's see, I want to make sure the other thing that really stood out to me was when I read back in our first email exchanges and it showed up in my email as 12, 12, 12, which I thought was cool. Wow. Those three numbers in a row. And in one of the emails after our session, I remember asking you, and I kind of brought up some emotion for me when I reread it the other day, because I asked, you know, um, I forget, I wish I would have put my exact words in my notes that I'm looking at right now, but I asked if I had permission to share in a blog post that drawing that you had given me, or if it went against any divine or shamanic rules. And I thought, oh my God, Allison, like it, that was powerful for me to reflect back that even right out of the gate, there was that knowingness inside of me of like the reverence piece and like asking questions and making sure because some things on this path are meant to be shared and some aren't. And somehow that was like innate in me to ask you that. And I don't know, that was powerful for me to see that. Yeah. So beautiful. Yeah. And it's like, I always tell people like, sometimes it's good to keep something sacred close to yourself. Like if you have an incredible journey or, you know, amazing ceremony, like keep it to yourself for a while. I had a teacher once that told me like, if something amazing happens to you, like don't speak about it for 40 days, don't speak about it for a year, you know, because that potency is just like, once we share it, like it can be diffused, although sharing it in a sacred circle, I think is always, you know, always can be beautiful because a lot of those messages are meant for more than one of us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just want to thank you again. You know, there's no doubt in my mind and being that you really played a very foundational and instrumental role in helping, you know, the, the truth and the ancient wisdom and the calling that had always been inside of me to feel safe and time to unlock more and to permeate inside of my being more and to express more, you know, the, 
integrity from which you do the work and the safe, beautiful, supportive, non-judgmental container and space that you hold and create. I know that 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 played a big part in who I am today. So I just wanted to thank you so much. Oh my gosh, such an honor, such an honor just to be part of your part of your journey. It's just (laughs) wonderful. Yeah. So I would love, I know you do soul retrieval work and that's actually something on ceremony circle that I haven't really covered yet. And it's a big part of shamanism and shamanic practices. So I would love if you could explain to people. And again, you know, I know, you know, and a lot of the listeners know it's sometimes it's hard to put human words to some of these processes, but if you can explain a little bit about what soul retrieval is, how it works. Yeah, certainly. So the idea is like when we're conceived, you know, the sperm and the egg come together, you know, from that moment that you're conceived, you have your soul, your complete soul, which you might imagine like a golden ball of light. And over time, you know, from being in your mother's womb all the way to where you are now, like different things happen to us, traumatic things, you know, car accident could be like an obvious trauma, sometimes less obvious traumas, you know, you got ridiculed in school for something you did. Um, Different things happen to us. And as those kind of incidents occur, it's our, that golden ball of light, part of that light sort of fractures off and it's deposited wherever that incident occurred. And so when a person loses many parts along the way, sometimes we can become really disempowered. We let, you know, we're walking around with less of the power of our own soul. And that makes us uh, more vulnerable. It makes us less able to be efficacious or like to do the things we came here to do. And so the shaman, you know, this is the tradition has always been able to alter their consciousness throughout time and go looking for and their spirit helpers show them where these soul parts are, and then they can return them to the person. And the soul is so beautiful that these soul parts typically come back, at least in my experience, as beautiful visions or exquisitely beautiful objects to represent these parts of ourselves. And when I was in my early shamanic training and as I was in sabbatical from medicine and trying to figure out what was going on in my messy life that just felt like a complete disaster at the time, one of the things that I received, my soul part came back, one of them came back as this beautiful leather-bound journal, which was this part of me that knew that I wanted to write. And it turns out it had been lost, you know, way back in college, I went to a college that was known for writing, Kenyon College, like they pumped out very famous authors. And I got like a B plus on my first writing, you know, written paper. And I decided that meant I was never meant to write again. Like I just threw away my whole writing dream right there, which sounds crazy, but you know, it's perfectionism, you know, whatever. And uh, so once that that soul part came back to me, I began to honor that part of myself that wanted to write. You know, many, they can come back in just amazing different ways. And it's just, sometimes they come back through someone who has died. So if we've lost a loved one, that person might take a little part of our soul, maybe that we've also given to them. And so they die and that part's no longer with us until, you know, either they spontaneously come back through helping spirits or through the work of a shaman. Um, And so I've been part of, it's just such a beautiful encounter. Sometimes on a healing, I will be, you know, taken to a spiritual realm where the person who has died is there. And I get to feel some of that love that the, the person has for the person who's back here on earth and desperately needs that soul part, you know, so they can get back to their life and, and get back to 
being full of who they are, you know, full of Sarah-ness or full of Allison-ness, you know, so that we can do these things that we came here to do. Yeah. And typically I know that, um, at least in my personal experience and an experience of other shamans that I have either known or witnessed them in doing this work, a drum or a rattle is typically involved. So are you open to sharing just like a little bit about how that process works for you when someone comes to you and gives you permission to do to do your work, um, and you can clearly tell that some soul retrieval is needed, do you typically then, as you're with the the person, begin to, do you prefer drum or rattle for soul retrieval or just kind of walk us through a little bit how you do it? Yeah. Usually the person just comes and we talk about what their intention is. And once we're clear on what they're asking for, I open up the ceremony. I call all of my helping spirits from all the four directions and above and below. And then I drum for a little moment and I just am with all my helpers. I just say, you know, this is what Mark is asking for. You know, what is it that you recommend? And I listen to whatever they tell me. And usually they, you know, suggest a combination of different things. And when it's soul retrieval, then the procedure for me is I will start that part of the ceremony. I will drum and I usually get on top of my beautiful elephant, Alice, who's my sort of my main squeeze in the spirit world for helping with these kinds of things. And she takes me wherever that part, you know, was lost. And sometimes it's into a, their childhood home. Sometimes it's, you know, to a scene, a wedding, like had many people, it's really interesting, a lot of people when, when they get married, they will bury a part of their soul. So this is a way we can kind of take on one a part of our soul, cut it out and bury it, thinking that if we do that, that will make this marriage work, you know, like, or afraid that if I, if this part of myself gets out or they see this part of me, they're not going to be okay. And the whole thing's going to fall apart. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. I've found that really fascinating through the years. In any case, then I will converse with the part. Usually, again, as I said, it's shown as some kind of beautiful object. And I'll say, I'll confirm, are you, you know, are you Mark's soul part? And then once I get that, yes, well, you know, it's like, can you tell me, you know, a little bit more about how you were lost, what you represent? And that part will, you know, I'm the part, I'm the part of uh, Mark who believes anything is possible, let's just say. And so, and maybe it's like a, a beautiful agate from Lake Superior, you know, it could be anything. Just the spirits have like no limits to show you these incredible things. The moonlight sparkling on the water. I mean, it's just so amazing. And then I let the person know, here's the soul part I'm about to return to you. This is what it looks like. Here's how it was lost. And here's what it's bringing back as it comes back to you. And then I blow it into their heart space. And I always tell people that sometimes when these parts of us come back, you know, memories can come back. It's like once we become fully who we are, sometimes that can happen. So sometimes people pass through a period of grief, you know, it might be because you know, grief over an, a loss or something that they just didn't have time to fully integrate. And so that can happen as well. But it's a really, it's just a really beautiful ceremony. Yeah. Yeah. So much. And do you remember your, the very first, when the shamanic calling was starting to awaken inside of you, do you recall the first shamanic journey that you immersed yourself in? Oh, for sure. I do. I, how it was calling to me is I kind of connected with the animals first. So I got these messages that, you know, or I ran into this ancient concept that the, that the wild animals that crossed your path 
may have messages for us, you know, just like your beautiful book that's forthcoming and I'm so excited for. And I had this huge laundry list of all these possible animals that could be my spirit animal. And finally, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to have to go on a journey, even though like just the sound of the drum, Allison, sounded terrifying to me. There was something about that primal drumming. I mean, I was scared. I was like, what is this I'm getting into? And I don't really fully understand it. Yeah. I mean, when you trace back, what do you think was a little frightening to you about it? I think what we all have to confront and walk onto this path is like, I guess for me, it was the evil, the unknown. I mean, you know, are there bad spirits out there that are out to get me? Could I be overtaken by something bad? I mean, just kind Mm -hmm. of thoughts like that. And I wasn't raised in any kind of particular fearful way, but I think it's sort of natural when you enter these realms where you start to realize like this is something beyond my understand. I don't understand this fully. But that day I took a journey using a a recording of Sandra Ingerman's, who's an amazing shamanic teacher. And uh, I thought to myself, I'm skeptic. Like I'm a physician. I'm a doctor. I'm very skeptical. I'm like, I don't know about this. But I was also desperate because as we all know, (laughs) when you're in this place, your whole world is falling apart. You're like, I'm ready for anything to tell me what, what to do here. And I was met by this mother bear and she took me to the top of this hill and she sat me down and she rubbed my back and she was just like, Sarah, I know you're really scared, but where you're going, it's not that far away. And she sort of pointed down a hill and I thought, downhill, that's not bad. (laughs) You don't have to climb Mount Everest to get to it, whatever it is. And she's like, and all you need to do is enjoy the journey, which it sounds like such a platitude, but all I can say is like tears were streaming down my face. I felt this love like that I had never experienced before. And I had a very loving, you know, my parents loved me to death. I mean, they just loved me. So I, it really wasn't that it was like this extraordinary, like otherworldly love. And I remember coming out of the journey, just thinking, was that real? And I finally just had to tell myself, like, I have no idea, but it felt so good that I thought I'm just going to go back. I don't really care if it's real because it's just I need this. I need this mother bear right now. Mm-hmm. And so I just continued to visit her for months on my own. And then eventually I had so many questions. I mean, weird stuff was happening. And I was like, I need to get some info here. I need like a human who can talk to me about what this is all about. And at that point, did you somehow get connected to uh, another shaman that you started to work with? Yes. So I actually, the beginning of my path, I started with the Foundation for Shamanic Studies, uh, which was started by Michael Harner, who's no longer alive, but he wrote a book called The Way of the Shaman. And it was a very uh, sort of a dry, it's called, what does he call it? He calls it uh I forget what the term is, but it's shamanism that's been extracted from culture, essentially, Mm -hmm. which many people feel is not the way it should be shared. At the time, I, I, I really didn't know what else to do. And so I just started taking these classes. And this whole thing was created by an academic. So it was very much like going to a very intense academic program. And eventually I went to their three year training. And then after that was when sort of I stepped into more meeting more traditional indigenous teachers and attending, which is really where the, I want to say like the beauty of the the medicine really that I found. I mean, I found it in the original training as well, but there, there was no, um, what do I want to say? Like in, you weren't allowed to burn sage. You weren't allowed to do any of these beautiful practices um, in that training. It was very, I want to say dry. Mm, interesting. Yeah. 
but also amazing and incredible. And I highly recommend it to this day. But I'm really grateful for the teachers that I've met, you know, in Colombia and Peru, uh, from Mexico, just and locally here in my town. Um, I live in northern Minnesota where the Anishinaabe people, you know, again, making an, a land acknowledgement. This is, you know, a place where uh, people had their lands stolen from them and their children taken from them and their drums taken from them until I think it was 1974 when that law finally changed and that they could use their drums again. So it's incredible. Yeah. So yeah, with that, it brings up, I, I would love to hear from you. Um, and I've shared a lot on this podcast, how every shaman is so different. You know, we're all encoded with our own, you know, divine blueprint and the way that our shamanic teachings and medicines and transmissions are supposed to go out into the world. Every single one is so different. And, you know, with, with mine, it's, my primary points of getting instructions are from great mother earth, the divine wisdom and love and truth that lives within me and great spirit, you know, that vertical line. And yet similar to what you just shared, I've also been very, very blessed throughout the years to have been guided to various indigenous elders and and ceremonies and teachings to be able to learn with them and, and, and immerse with them. However, in those beautiful traditions, I've never felt fully called to, you know, take a cer- certain sacred oath to adhere to that particular tradition. And so I would love if you are open to sharing, um, like how your shamanism and how your, your path has worked throughout these years. Yes. I'm so glad you brought that up because when I was exploring, you know, what kind of training I wanted to take, I, um, stepped on, it did a few things with the four wind society, which is a a beautiful option for people looking for the traditions from the Andes. So uh, working with the Mesa, working with Kuya's healing stones. And I remember thinking it was very beautiful, the the tradition, but at the same time, I felt um, it was almost like walking into like another person's church and learning their dogma. It felt really dogmatic. Like when you open the you know, the four directions, they all, everybody said the same thing, you know, oh, you know, everybody was calling the same spirits. And I remember thinking that's, it was very beautiful, but I remember thinking I really liked the way the, um, the other group did it is that it was much more open-ended. The foundation for shamanic studies, you were just instructed how to get to the lower world. And once you got there, there was no, hey, you're going to meet this certain person or spirit there. It was just very open-ended. And I found that that was really, really powerful for me. And now I have a teacher who is from Peru and I am working to grow my Mesa and I love it now. And um, I just have to be careful that I I can get caught up in wanting to, you know, be really stuck in the dogma. But I think the whole thing about shamanism that's so powerful is there are no rules and we have to listen to our inner guidance and we have to listen to our helping spirits. Mm-hmm. And so Otherwise, yeah, that's the whole point of it. That's the power of it. And so, but I think there is obviously like, you know, sort of surrendering yourself to a teacher is also important. You know, learning how to follow the rules when you want something that somebody else has and you want to receive that teaching and they want you to do something in a certain way. That's important too. So it's like, I mean, both and I would say. Yes. Um, and humbling ourselves, you know, like I've gone to the jungle and done dietas and like, wow, like, I mean, I put myself in that person's hands. Like you tell me what you want me to do. And 
but at the same time, I have to always be with myself, you know? Yes. God. Oh my, I, I feel like we could ugh, probably talk for five hours straight just about that one piece in itself. So much was coming in as you were sharing that and you, you really articulated that. Well, I'm just going to take a second to tune into everything that was coming in while you were talking to see if anything wants to be elaborated on or if that feels complete. Just one second. Yeah, I mean, it'll probably be just like reiterating some <laughs> what you just said, but yeah, my path has been very similar, you know, I, right out of the gate. And for me, this is just what worked for me and how it was supposed to be for me. So when I'm sharing this uh, for those listening, I'm not saying that this is the the quote unquote recommended way. It was, it was my way by divine design. I, I was really meant to find my way by myself. And I just, for so many of those initial years, was just instructed over and over again to keep going inside, keep going deeper, keep going inside, keep going deeper, keep deepening my connection to my communication with great mother earth and great spirit, and then keep going inside and keep going deeper. And I just was not instructed or guided to really immerse with, or quote unquote, learn from another human walking on the earth. It was like, I needed and had to find my way primarily in the unseen realms first. And I, of course, you know, because that's the way it was designed for me, I'm really glad and I'm really grateful that that was kind of that initial initiation for me was learning because it developed such a massive trust in myself. And, you know, we, we all need that, but for me to put myself out there in the way that I was supposed to. And so publicly, like I, I had to learn fast how to trust me and what was inside of me and, and learn how to trust. Yeah. My guides and the essences and the whispers and those unseen realms. And that foundation had to get really, really thick and laid first before then I was guided into various shamanic communities and traditions and, and in those communities, I've been very blessed, you know, that they bring in teachers and elders from all over the world and all of these different shamanic ways. And, and then in, in immersing in those various ceremonies and rituals, yes, sometimes we are given permission to then carry a, a particular song that was shared or a, a particular ritual. We are given permission to, as shamans, to share that with our audiences. But then sometimes just as often we're told like, this is to remain here and this, this prayer or what we all shared in today is, is only for this moment. And these teachings are not to go beyond these walls. And and so I don't know, all, that's just one little dollop of what came up in your teaching because there's, there is so much to all of this and it is very fluid in terms of where you're being led and when you're led to that place, really landing there and being present to that and letting it be revealed. Um, yeah, if you're supposed to carry any of that outwardly or if it's just supposed to be inward, but yeah, it's a big part of the shamanic path is all of this. 
Yeah. And I think that's what I love it so much because each individual just does something magic, like completely different. And I think the best shamans, you know, that I sit with is like in ceremony, you know, over the, over the year, it's like, every time I see them, they're different. Their ceremony is different. Mm-hmm. They're playing their drum differently. They're singing a new song. They've changed every, you know, but they're still absolutely the essence of who they are. But it's just like, it's such a, it's such an amazing um, combination of spirit and performance and planning, but spontaneity. But like, I mean, that's why I just absolutely like, I feel like it's it's so infinite and it's such an honor to be a witness to it and to be part of it sometimes, you know, when, and I'm, when I'm a part of it. But yeah. Mm-hmm. The next thing that's coming in is this uh, idea of the sacred pause and sabbaticals and the phrase, I don't know if I read it when I was doing a little research on you, but your quote unquote radical sabbatical. So you were, you know, a physician for nearly, you know, 20 years um, before this other thing started to come alive inside of you. And when I was listening to you in another interview, you said this question of what makes people well started to come up inside of you. And I wondered if that, those four words, that one question was perhaps one of the biggest major sparks for you in kind of questioning your reality and questioning your work as a physician. Was that a turning point moment for you when that question started to come in? Absolutely. I mean, I was a paid disease hunter. That's all I did all day is sit in a microscope, hunt disease, hunt disease, look for it, look for it. I mean, that's what medicine, traditional medicine is that way, allopathic. You know, you go to the doctor, they'll have you lost weight? Are you bleeding from the anus? I mean, they just, one question after another, hunting for disease. And I remember thinking to myself, what makes people well? Like, we are not talking about that. And it really kind of bothered me. And I I had this very, you know, early on in my medical school years, I sat at the bedside of a, a patient who was in her early 30s who was dying. And I remember thinking, well, there's something we're not doing that this woman needs. Hmm. We're all, we don't have it. We're not offering it to her. And it was a terrible feeling. And I remember thinking, maybe I could learn to do that somehow in medicine, but it seems too daunting. Like, I think I, I had the sense that I would need a lot of psychotherapy or something would have to change in me to be able to do it. So that's when I said no to the hero's journey. Right there, I refused it. And I ended up going to pathology where I would basically be sitting under a mic, you know, with a microscope all day, which was wonderful. And I absolutely loved it. It was fascinating. But once that question started getting like, what makes people well, it really bothered me. And um, I remember reading, there's a beautiful book and it's, the quote is from, I think, is it Gabrielle Roth? I'm going to get this wrong. But she said, when you go to the shaman, the shaman will ask you these questions. When did you stop dancing? When did you stop singing? When did you stop telling stories? And when did you stop being comforted by the sweet territory of your own silence? And I remember reading that thing. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I really didn't understand what that meant, but I feel like that is what creates health. Mm. Singing, dancing, telling stories, being in that stillness. And I think right now my biggest feeling is like also like being creative, expressing ourselves creatively. And so that's what I'm really, my work is really focused on right now is just helping people to connect with that creative spirit and to let it out, whatever it is, you know? 
I want to take a moment to thank Star Animal Sundays, Power Animal Fine Jewelry for making this episode possible. You all know my deep reverence for the power animal world. I even wrote a book on it. And this eco-friendly brand promotes the preservation of animal habitats. It features 19 different power animals, and it is all created from repurposed gold and ethically sourced diamonds. I have talisman pieces, necklaces, bracelets, and rings featuring the deer, horse, hummingbird, and flamingo. And they can also custom create your power animal by request, and each piece is blessed by a shaman. And you may have seen this jewelry featured in Vogue, Harper's Bazaar, on Halle Berry, Naomi Watts, Selma Blair, the list goes on and on. And I truly adore and respect Star Animal Sundays so much. So if you are feeling the draw to explore the power animal world with them, you can use the code STARPOWER at checkout and you'll get three complimentary meditation candles valued at $80 with your purchase. Most importantly, 25% of sales that come from using the code STARPOWER at checkout go to the Javari Project's Alternative Livelihoods Program. The Javari Project is a registered for-purpose organization working with a coalition of partners such as cultural sanctuaries and indigenous communities, one of which is one of the most pristine biodiverse areas in the world that has an unparalleled diversity of plants and animals and is home to the highest number of remote, uncontacted indigenous peoples known today. The Javari Project and Cultural Sanctuaries identify and evaluate the current threats to the cultural and environmental assets of the Javari region in order to sustainably support their territorial rights, protect their livelihoods, and preserve their habitat. So I highly urge you to please support these incredible causes. They're very near and dear to my heart. So you can make an impact as well as connect with your animal power by visiting www.staranimalsundays.com. That's www.staranimalsundays.com and use code STARPOWER at checkout. And so how easy or hard was it for you initially to let it out, let your, this shamanic energy and truth that was really starting to come alive inside of you, you're still a physician, your husband, if I'm correct, is also a physician and you were on a board of some sort. And, you know, so there's all these other things, external things. I don't want to label them as pressures, but perhaps they were at that time. And yet this other truth is getting louder and bigger. And I would imagine is starting to take over. And so was there a specific point where you just knew and that you needed to, to be this shaman, this shamanic practitioner? Was there a moment where you knew and then how did you navigate that? Because I really feel that will help a lot of the listeners who are in similar places, whether their calling is a, a crystal healer or a Reiki master, but we all reach that point where there's this other life that we've been living. And then the spiritual truth is growing. And those first couple of steps, especially that first one can often be this, the most terrifying and the one that we have the most resistance around. So how did you navigate that and how easy or hard was it? 
Yeah, well, I had this spirit out, elephant Alice, who has sort of entered my life right at that point where I was supposed to go back to work. And I, with her help, because she basically took me to the river in the spirit realms, took all my like diplomas, threw them in the river unceremoniously. It was like, where are you going, girl? You're not going to need these things, you know? And I'm like, really? And she's like, nope. I was like, okay. But then, you know, the ordinary reality part of me was like, oh my God, who's going to pay for college? We had four kids. I mean, it was just a little complicated. But that helped me to get the courage to negotiate with my partners. I was like, hey, could I just be casual? Like when it gets crazy, can I come in and, and work? And then, but when it's not crazy, I could just stay away. And they were like, yes. And I was like, okay. There was a, so for about a year, I sort of did that. I worked barely, but I worked a lot in the spirit realms, you know, working, just connecting with my helping spirits. Then there was this moment where I started feeling this tug, like, oh, you could just go back to work. It would be so much easier than what you're going to do here. Like, we, you could just, oh, those thousands of dollars they would pay you just to do, it's not that bad. You know, that whisper was coming. And I actually went and saw a healer who, told me it was time for me to do a ceremony. And what I did is I went out in my backyard and I did a fire ceremony and I made, I built a, uh, like a, I took a Triscuits box because, <laughs> you know, everybody's got a box of Triscuits laying around. And I tied on there like an effigy, like my old badge from the hospital, like all these emails that I would rather not ever, re you know, receive again. I'm sure we've got a few of those. I printed them out, put them on there. And I kind of made this effigy of my old life and I just said, I sat with it for a while and just saying, thank you for all the lessons. Thank you for all this medicine. I am so grateful. And there's thank you for all the things that, you know, some of these things are really hard and I'm really ready to be done with it. And I placed it into the fire. And as I did that, before I made my prayer for what I was hoping to happen after that, this Triscuit box just like bloomed into this amazing like peony out of the ashes. It was like this flower unfolding. And I was like, you know, sometimes a fire can just like, I was like, okay, I think things are going to be okay. It was just one of those reassuring signs. And then I just prayed for what I was asking for. And then the last thing I would say I did, there was this moment where this invitation to came to go to India. So a pilgrimage called to me. Now I'm not saying anybody has to go to India to decide to leave your job or your husband or whatever it is, or wife or whatever it is that you need to learn, leave. But I just was like, I know I'm supposed to go. I got every sign you can imagine. I mean, I tried to refuse it, but it was like, no. So I went to the Kumbh Mela, which is like the largest gathering of humanity on earth. It happens every 13 years. I had no idea what I was signing up for, Allison. If I had known, I never would have gone, but I went. Thank and God you didn't do too much research. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then I, I dunked myself against all government regulations in the Ganges River. And we were told not to because it was so bad that year. For so many people, I dunked myself in the Ganges River and I just prayed, like, can I want to be of service? And I mean, I don't know if I can, but please, like, if I if I'm supposed to be in like serving in this way with the spirits and being doing this thing we call shamanic practicing, whatever it is, like, help me to do that. And as soon as I got back from India, I got that call. That was the call to an initiation from a woman who was dying in hospice. And it was like this full circle moment as I sat at her bedside and I asked her what she needed. And interestingly, she was Native American and I was the only shaman that she could find in Duluth, Minnesota, or that she decided to call. I don't know how that happened. And so it was sort of also facing my fear of cultural appropriation, all these things, right, that where I was scared about. And... The spirits told me that she needed a soul retrieval so that she could make this journey 
that she needed to make because sometimes when we were ready to die, we need enough power to be able to leave is what they showed me and, and did this ceremony with her, which was like, I, I can't even share how powerful and meaningful that was because I was finally able to serve somebody in the way I had longed to, you know, 20 years ago. And, and then when she died, I was asked to create her funeral and do her entire ceremony in front of several elders from the community, which again, just one of those initiations. And I remember calling my friend who is native down in, in uh, Tucson. And I said, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I said, how, you know, do you have any advice for me? You're native. Like, I don't know how to do it. And she goes, okay, I've got one piece of advice for you. Are you ready for this? And I was like, yes, Kawea, tell me. She goes, don't show up drunk. <laughs> we both just, anyway, so there was something about that surrender in India and just being like, I have no idea like how I'm supposed to do any of this, but like, I am so willing to just do whatever it is you want me to do. That is so interesting that so quickly you were thrust into facing that particular fear around the cultural appropriation. Cause that's a major initiation point for a lot of non-indigenous shamans that have the shamanic calling inside of them that, you know, that you know you need to honor and step into and live. But I so far, you know, and I include myself in this, and I've shared about this in different episodes, I have yet to meet a non-Indigenous shaman that has not hit up against the, that fear point of cultural appropriation. And um, the fact that, yeah, you came face to face with that so quickly, that's intense. Yeah. And I've had, and it's happened again and it's just, yeah. And every time I learn, I learn more and I learn, you know, there's a lot of humbling. There's a lot of acknowledgement of all the pain and all the suffering. And, and I, I've had to imagine what would it be like to have my, my ability to use work with my spirits taken away from me, like outlawed or to be, you know, in Siberia, people were murdered, jailed, you know, all kinds of things. So yeah. I try yeah. to be sensitive, but at the same time, as you and Dr. Mabuni <laughs> were addressing, like, I have to keep on my path. I have to listen to that inner voice, whatever it's telling me to do, with all due respect to the beliefs of others, you know, I try Absolutely. To harmoniously, if I can. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, there's another orb emerging with different things coming in. So I'm just going to tune into that. And, and yeah, you know, maybe just taking a sacred moment right now to acknowledge, you know, it is a great honor for us to do the, the work that we, we do and to be able to commune and connect with guides and the elements and, and the ways that we do our work and to also be able to outwardly share and and teach and be of service in ways that are public because as you acknowledge not that long ago at all were those abilities and and honoring ways and rights taken from from so many people so I do yeah I just want to take a second to acknowledge my deep gratitude for being able to do uh, the work and the way that I'm instructed and able to do in this in this time. So just taking a second here. Yeah, and a prayer that all wounds be healed.
Yes. Oh, yeah, I feel, feel that very, very deeply. I'm just going to take one last second because I feel like there's one other piece around this orb that's trying to talk a little bit more. Yeah, I, I do. You know, there's it, it. It hasn't totally crystallized what's trying to come in, but it dropped in enough. It's still foggy, but I can see it enough. I think I can start to talk to it. Maybe something more clearly will reveal. But you know, with this new paradigm that's birthing, and you know, eagle condor prophecy coming more alive, and 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 just some of these activations that are happening right now, there there is this thing. <laughs> that's emerging and, and and starting to come alive in terms of, and this is not a blanketed general statement, but in, in just the way in which some people's shamanic paths are to be walked and embodied and shared with the world. I don't know if anything is coming up for you around that, but I just, I, I see this this new like river or thing that's starting this trajectory that's that's emerging from this time and you know um people like you and I and Marie and others it's it's our responsibility to honor the way in which our shamanism is we are being instructed to walk it and to teach it in this way so i i don't know i don't know if anything is coming up for you on that for sure. I mean, I see these amazing, like mythical gatherings happening when you speak to the Eagle Condor prophecy, like shamans from Colombia joining with shamans from the north and honoring each other's families and each other's just everything, like taking each other in as sons and daughters and mothers and grandmas and sharing the medicines, even the medicines that are not familiar with each other, trading those, sharing those, teaching each other about those medicines if they can be helpful to their communities. And that takes a lot of openness instead of, you know, dogma or we don't, this isn't shared beyond our borders kind of thing. And, and I've seen a lot of that. And I think Marie Mabuni addressed like that, you know, that she's, her path is one of oneness, like that we are all one. And in most of the circles that I sit in, that's what I'm sensing. You know, there, there are people, um, there are indigenous lineages that are being honored. And at the same time, all are welcomed, you know, to imbibe in the medicine, whatever that is that's being shared, um, as long as people are respectful, obviously. Yes. Yeah. And when I, like, I remember sitting and watching Standing Rock and at one moment it was like so beautiful to see all these, these groups coming from all over the planet to stand with the people of Standing Rock. And I felt like that was an example of like spirit is, we're all spirit, you know, and, and it was just so powerful. And to see the shamans from Norway and I was like, whoa, they kind of look like me, you know, because of course I've got a lot of Norwegian uh, in me. And it was just really beautiful to see that we don't have to look a certain way or be a certain way if we want to learn about how to connect with spirit in this way and we want to learn and we have respect and we're willing to do the hard work and to contribute, a door will be open for us too, you know? 
Yes, that you hit the nail on the head. It's that beautiful balance of the knowingness that shamanism is all of our birthrights in terms of learning how to connect with the planet that we inhabit and incarnated on, learning how to communicate with her and give payment back to her and, and offerings and to honor her and to receive transmissions and blessings from her. And it's all of our birthrights also to, to remember how to connect to great spirit in the unseen realms. That is every being that is on this planet and in other realms. It's all of our sacred birthright to learn the shamanic ways and to be sure to that it is done with honor and sacredness and respect. And the other little note that I also typically um, remind people of is that just because one is feeling called or pulled into um, immersing in uh, shamanic ways or the shamanic healing arts, that doesn't also, that does not always automatically equate into a calling to be or become a shaman. You know, there's a, there's those two different paths of like, I'm feeling called to immerse in shamanism and to sit in this ceremony and to learn some shamanic ways. But then there's the other pathway um, as you're walking that path of like, oh, wow, this, this calling to embody the shaman medicine inside of me is here. And I feel this is my duty and mission to be this, this lifetime, you know? So I don't know, that was just some of what came up inside of me and this really juicy orb that we're in right now. So thank you for your reflections with all of that. So with that, um, I would love if you could share a little bit more how your shamanism works, you know, some of the main guides that you work with, of course, if you feel compelled to share any of that. And uh, yeah, for those right now, because I know for me in this decade that I've been on this specific shamanic path, my offerings evolve and like some, some practices will stay and then some, some will dissolve away and they're just no longer needed. And the new ones will come in. So I'm curious for you right now, what are the shamanic services and offerings that you're feeling most inspired to, to share with people? Yeah. I always feel like I was saying before, like, I, I feel like the beautiful thing about shamanic ceremonies and practices that they keep evolving and they're never the same twice. And so as I keep learning more and I mean, I'm never going to be without a teacher because there's just always more to learn. And this year I um, have worked with a few new plants. I had, I went on a dieta just right before 20, sort of right before we went into the pandemic. So I've been doing a lot more singing of Icaros in my ceremonies and also just bringing them in like whenever I'm, even when I'm having a conversation like this with, you know, I'll just start to sense and call in these essences of the wild rose, for example, which is this amazing plant that, you know, you probably all of us who live in North America have seen on a trail somewhere that grows in the most, um, you know, thin soils without much, but just like amazing blossoming. And so I think working with the, the spirit of the plants has been a very powerful thing. This year, I also or excuse me, at the beginning of the pandemic, I commissioned a friend wow. to make this amazing rainbow drum. Wow. So rainbow medicine has been a big thing that's kind of come to me. I sat in a ceremony right when I was, right before this drum came to me, and I learned a song um, that I was given permission to use about rainbows. And uh, just for a lot of reasons, they've become really powerful. And 
again, like 10 years ago, if you'd said, you're going to be healing with rainbows, I'd be like, what? I mean, it's just hard to understand these concepts, but a rainbow becomes something so much more. I mean, it has a lot of meaning for me. So I always just, I'm just using whatever it is that's really powerful for me. And I feel like I keep growing as I keep, I keep surrendering and, and continuing to learn this path. I thought medicine was a vast path and I think it is, but shamanism is like, you know, without end. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Somebody commented a few days ago on my Instagram, I'm fascinated by shamanism. And I was like, I am too. <laughs> yeah. You know, just that fascination. I, I don't ever want it to go away and I'm sure that it won't, I, I, you know, as devoted as I am to this work and as much excavating and exploring and journeying as I've done every single day, I am fascinated in a new way. There's a new thread or a new essence or a new texture or a new conversation or a whatever, a new download. It is truly miraculous and astounding. I love it so much. Um, but one thing that we have in common, which, you know, it's like one of those things that I knew, but it wasn't until we got this interview scheduled that it, it really landed with me then the fact that, you know, we are both authors of books around the, the spirit allies of the animal world. And I, I, I just thought, huh, that's really interesting because I didn't learn until this interview today that your, some of your first guides were the animals. And that was the same for me. After I worked with you, my aunt, who is a shaman, she provided a, a healing session for me and there was soul retrieval involved. And also the black Panther, the Jaguar came in as my main totem, my main guide mm -hmm. and three other animal allies came in who really got me through that initial awakening period. And the bear was also one for me. And oh my gosh, I just, yeah, visions of being instructed. The bear would sit against a tree with its back against a tree. And then the bear would instruct me to put my back against its chest and to just sit and let myself learn how to let go and be held. And that bear supportive, grounding, nurturing way and to just keep letting go and leaning back and being held and being sustained and nourished. And the deer and the frog also came in and the deer has been a mainstay animal ally guide for me all of these years. It helped bring my partner Luke and I together and, and all of that. So I don't know. I just kind of wanted to touch on, of course, to honor the fact that the animals are, are such main guides for us. And we've both got called to co-create books with them. So what do I want to know? I mean, the book journey in itself, I thought that could be a cool thing for both of us to touch on. Cause for me, it was honestly the most challenging thing I've ever done. And I don't know if it was for you, but I've done a lot of challenging things personally and professionally and writing this medicine book, birthing this shamanic power animal book out into the world, it was perhaps the, the most arduous thing I've ever done. So what was the journey like for you either with your Beasties book or with any of the other books you've written? Yeah. I mean, writing books, absolutely hands down, especially the first few is very difficult, like harder than I ever thought it could be. But I remember with the Beasties book, I was like, okay, we're going to do this. And it just felt, it felt like, um, I was just very like reverent, like I want this book to be of the highest, the highest caliber that I can make it. And so I opened up a ceremony and I just was like, as I started to write before I wrote, I was like, 
inviting all the beasties who want to be a part of this to share your medicine in the way it wants to be shared. And then I remember I had agreed to this insane deadline. I had no idea how insane it was until I started because it was a hundred thousand word manuscript. And I think it was, I gave myself three months, two months. I don't remember, but what it meant was I had a writing schedule of four hours a day, seven days a week, all through the winter. And so that we would still have time to edit and go back. And I remember days thinking, okay, guys, like, I can't believe there's more, but could there be more? Cause I was just like, are we going to run out of stuff? Are we going to run out? Are you going to, and of course, you know, it's, it's like endless. That's the beauty of the spirit of creativity, which we're going to encounter later in this, in this, in this journey. But it's like, it just was without end. And it was kind of astonishing and it was exhausting. And like my physical health suffered because of course, sitting for four hours a day, it doesn't sound like much, but it was intense. And so um, I've learned like next book, you know, I'm not going to give anybody any, I'm going to give myself a generous time. time Yeah, I think that's really smart. And that's why I really wanted you and I as two shamanic. And I know you refer, I believe you refer to yourself more as a shamanic practitioner, whereas I just use the word shaman. Um, So I never, when I say as two shamans, I never want to I call myself woman of medicine. Woman of medicine. So we've got a woman of medicine and a shaman <laughs> discussing the books they're birthing into the world, you know, that that are obviously very spiritual. And it, it was such a great teacher for me um, because I've never given physical birth yet to, you know, a child. I, I, I really hope to sincerely one day. Um, so for me, this first book, learning that birthing process through the book was really intense. And it was not until I was done and I knew that the manuscript had gone off to the printers and there was, you know, no more layers to get through in terms of that, the editing process that it then hit me how exhausted I was. And I also started to experience like some physical pains and things um, that revealed once I got through that gateway of completion. And, you know, a friend reflected, um, they were like, you're in the postpartum phase of birthing your book and you need to take like, you know, that sacred 40 days or whatever, however many sacred days you can to heal. And it just, yeah, it was an, it was a, a very beautiful, miraculous journey that I of course would not change. And it's such an honor to, to bring it into the world, but man, it was taxing to hold that kind of space, to let that kind of medicine book be, be born and actualized. It just, I did not anticipate it being that way. It was a lot. I can't wait to read it. It looks go. I mean, it just looks, the art looks amazing. It looks so stunning. Yeah. Yeah. The art is a big piece of it. Um, I went with Chronicle who publishes, they're known for artistically driven books. And um, I always want to honor the artist. Um, He actually passed away right after the book got done. So that Mm -hmm. brought this whole other really medicinal shamanic embodied piece to the book that I could never have seen coming. He was only 30 years old, lived in South Brazil, and he had just completed, um, you know, as the last work that he ever brought to the world was the, our book animal power. And yeah, he passed away. So, um, and he was able to allow the animal teachings to be embodied in such a gorgeous way through his illustration. So I always want to honor him anytime I get brought up. I know, isn't that wild? Wow. 
so amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And so your current book that I have at my altar and I have the card deck with me right now, the matching card deck, how good are you willing to let it get? I'm in a healthy way, very obsessed with them both. Um, I really love them. I love how the book are daily entries. You know, it's very digestible. I, like I said, I have it at my altar. And so it makes it just perfect for me to have it there. When I go there every morning, I do whatever rituals I'm guided to do. And then I read that daily entry from how good are you willing to let it get? And I thought it could be fun for me right now in this moment with the deck to just knock on it. That's my way I clear it. And I'll just pull a card real quick for the listeners and see Perfect. what comes through. So I'm asking Sarah's card deck, how good are you willing to let it get to reveal the card that will be of greatest, highest service to you, you all sitting with us today? What message do you most want all of us as a collective community and circle to know? Okay. It's this one. I don't think I've pulled this one yet. It's a new color and it says, lose it. It's the lose <laughs> it card. It says declutter your lair, your calendar, your life, let go of what's not working. Unleash the feng shui. <laughs> what needs to go so you can really fly. And the prayer attached to this one is dear God, goddess, please help me release with grace everything that is non-essential. Mm. I'm curious for you, why do you think that one revealed right now? Lose it. Mm, well, I think it's an ongoing process of just recognizing like what is no longer serving us. And I know for me, like I have, well, for me right now, my calendar is getting really full. You know, it's like before when you want to become successful and then once you are successful and then you realize, wow, like I need time for my creativity. I need time for these. So you have to be, I have to be ever mindful that my schedule keeps little open pockets just for me mm. to, you know, to come up with projects like this, which was, you know, a collaboration with my spirit animal, Alice the Elephant, which made it so much fun and such a delight to work on. So, and I love that idea of sharing that with people. Like you could, if you're feeling creatively blocked, maybe you could just connect with a spirit animal or a spirit teacher in human form, and they could, you know, share with you the material for whatever it is you're meant to write. <laughs> Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And before we get into um, the ceremonial offering that you are so generously going to share with us, um, I was just wondering, you know, is there, there anything else on your heart, personally, professionally, uh, when you tune into uh, energetically to those who are listening and sharing this space with us, is there anything else you just want to want to say? I'm just kind of getting now is your time. You know, you have everything you need within you to get started or to keep going if you've already started. <laughs> yeah, whatever it is, keep going or get started. Beautiful. And I think my kind of last main question for you is I'm just kind of scanning through things to make sure I didn't forget anything important. Um, we could go in one or two directions and I'll let you pick, uh, one, it's the fact that, you know, we're both medicine women who are also entrepreneurs and, you know, there's always that interesting balance of, uh, you know, being tuned in and staying really 
directly aligned um, with our integrity and and the exact divine way our mission is supposed to work spiritually. But then, you know, we've, yeah, we've got these products, we've got these books and these card decks and websites and social media. And so I don't know if there's anything that you want to speak to around the balance of shamanism and entrepreneurship, or since this is ceremony circle, if there is any other ceremony that you yourself have, have either facilitated or immersed in personally that you feel called to share about that either was very transformative for you or it's just a funny memory? It can be anything. <laughs> well, let me address both real quick. So the shamanism and, and entrepreneurship, I've kind of had to like let the money go. Like I cannot, it's like I get in trouble if I start trying to make sure it all makes sense. So I just follow my intuition and I just, what I find there is again, there's this concept that I've been taught through the spirits, which is like the money doesn't belong to me. And I, I just have to let it go and receive and let it go. I think I saw on your Instagram, you shared a beautiful, it was like some financial, um, they were like affirmations. And I thought it was, it was like trust that you can give away the money you need to give away and trust that like when I was doing my card deck, I mean, you know, the, to print out 2000 card decks is kind of a leap of faith and to hand over the cash for that, hoping that, you know, they're going to sell at some point. Things like that. Um, I just have to trust and leap, you know, contemplating and doing it as consciously as I can. So that's my wisdom there. <laughs> like if I'm profitable, that's God's business is kind of how I live. That's beautiful. That being said, yeah, like that's the, the, that's the situation I'm in right now. Oh my goodness. I was just in Peru in May and I went, my dear friend Lusma, who is at nunaaini.org. You can find her there. I think that's her website, nunaaini. Anyway, she's fabulous. She should be a guest on this. She'd be wonderful. Great. I went into a ceremony one night. I was assisting her in the ceremony and my intention was to explore what it's like to be free from perfectionism mm. because perfectionism, I find dogs me, right? So I go into the ceremony and, you know, it's like, I don't know, we're an hour in. The medicine's definitely kicked in. Everybody, and she comes over to me and she's like, Sarita, can you play your ukulele? And I was like, sure. And I get my ukulele up and I start to try to play. And this song that I've paid 10,000 times, my fingers won't work. It won't, like nothing, I can't do it. I'm trying to like even, and I mean, after a while, I was like, just start, just do it. You, you know, spirit will take over. It'll work. I fumbled so badly that at some point I just set the ukulele down. I was like, these poor people. And I just sang the rest a cappella. I'm like, oh man. So like another hour or two goes by and she comes over to me, Sarita, can you go please help Mike? You know, he's really struggling. This person that was across, sure, I can do that. So I grab my tobacco and like stagger over there. The medicine was very strong that night, you know, and I, sitting next to Mike, I'm like blowing, you know, tobacco, mapacho all over him, like clearing of whatever needs to be cleared. And I'm thinking, I've been there working on him for a while. And I'm like, gosh, I should just check on him. Like, just maybe connect. So I didn't want to scare him. So I was like, slowly moving my hand to, you know, to try to touch his shoulder. When I suddenly realized there's nobody there. I am healing a pile of blankets, Allison. So I just am like, oh my God. Later, she told me. I was my jaw is on the floor right now. Okay, so then another hour or two goes by. It's like two in the morning. And I suddenly am like, oh, a song comes to me. And I'm like feeling kind of guilty because I haven't been able to support with the ukulele like I was supposed to my dear leader. Like you're so quote unquote like, supposed to, right? Yeah, so I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this song. So I'm like, 
ah, I start to sing it a cappella, and I'm like, this is the best song. This is so good. It's like speaking to everything right now. I'm so proud of myself. Yay, I'm doing my part. All of a sudden, Luzma's other assistant comes over, and he's like, Sarita, can you please not sing? Luzma is trying to sing. So here's me trying to out, like I'm over singing the shaman and I don't even know it. I mean, we were laughing so hard the next day. It's like, this is what it looks like to be free from perfectionism. Oh. So it was just like, I mean, the, the thing that I would never, ever dare to do, out sing the shaman of their own ceremony. It was like, anyway. Of course. And so I just have to accept my humanness, you know, that I'm not here to be perfect. I'm here mess up and and it brought so much delight like I don't think we laughed any more than that that next morning at the breakfast table because it was just people some people were actually watching me as I was healing that guy that I love it I was wondering I'm like was anyone during the ceremony aware like did they have the knowingness before you that that was just a blanket it's just too good I know so the medicine she's a powerful teacher guys so you know very humbling and, and very funny. (laughs) Yes. I have also had similar experiences, both with grandmother medicine, ayahuasca, and also grandfather medicine, peyote. I have absolutely in my own form and way had experiences that were similarly humbling and hilarious at the same time where, yeah, like then when the sun comes up and the sharing circle starts to happen and I'm talking about, yeah, my version of that moment you had, it's, um, yes, very, very funny. Oh my God. Thank you so much for sharing that. That is, that was really good medicine for us to hear. So thank you so much. And I feel like now is a great time to go into your ceremony offering. If you do. Let's do it. So I have prepared a ceremonial space for us. So I'm going to be playing drums. So like if you're driving, maybe hit pause and listen to this once you get back home. But if you'd like to take a moment, you could hit pause and bring out, you know, your candle or your incense or whatever you do to create sacred space. But I have already created sacred space for us. So we're all set. I'm just going to drum and with my beautiful rainbow drum and kind of talk you through this, uh, this journey. And I'm going to invite everybody to meet. We're going to have the intention to meet up with the spirit of your creativity. Um, Because I I think it's something that helps us to come alive. And by expressing that it can be a really power, bring a lot of power to us. Um, So, I'm just going to start drumming and talking us through that. So just imagine that you are meeting Allison and I in this beautiful clearing. And in this clearing, there is a yurt. And it's nighttime. And the sky is filled with a million stars. And you look up. place. 
then I always just invite people to, yeah, wiggle your fingers and toes. Be sure you're completely returned to the room you're in. And maybe you want to write a few things down about whatever messages you received. And know that you can reconnect with this spirit anytime you like through drumming, through meditation, or just inviting them to join you. Oh, that was so fun and needed. Uh, thank you for bringing, um, yeah, specific creativity intention into this space. And it's very timely for me. And yes, for those who got different visions or messages or awarenesses, if you want to pause this temporarily and make sure you write those down, because I'm about to share a little bit about what came in for me. And I don't want that to interfere um, with yours. So if you need to pause, do it now. If you already got what you want to get, you can keep listening. Uh, so yeah, for me, before you even opened the yurt door, this fat cartoon cat, like this roly poly, it almost looked like a mixture between like Garfield and a Cheshire cat, you know, but totally cartoon in nature, roly poly belly, big grin, like the Cheshire cat and Alice in Wonderland has a bright yellow. And it had already like barged its way into the yurt before you even like opened the door. <clears throat> and then I was like, we haven't opened the door yet, you know, and like asked for it to go back out. And then when you opened it, it came, you know, rushing back in again. And, and then when I was asking it, um, you know, yeah, what you want me to know, or yeah, what, what, what would you like for me to know it instantly? We started to dance and it was just like this remembrance of, and it's been an intention for mine and I actually have it on a big piece of paper right by my altar right now to remember to be more in my divine feminine right now has been a major teaching for me. And remembering also the essences of play and lightheartedness and laughter. And so I'm like dancing with this fat, roly poly Cheshire cat. And, and then when I asked, how can I honor you? Then it like jumped up. So I'm holding it and we continue to dance, but then it like climbed onto my back where I recently had the shamanic healing done the specific point of my back and it entered in and got embodied into me and integrated into me through my back portal or the backside of my heart. And it, it was like how I can honor it is by truly embodying this sense of fun and play. And then I saw myself painting, but it wasn't an instruction for me to like literally start to be a painter. It was just like painting this new way. And then I entered into the painting and was like walking down this rainbow path that I had painted like you know, this reminder that you create your own new pathway and new life. Anyways, like I really wow. received a strong Beautiful. message. So. <clears throat> so fun. I love that. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. So thank you so much. It's always such a treat for me at the end of these episodes to be able to receive, you know, and to go on a journey myself. Absolutely. Oh, goodness. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. This was like, you know, a really extra meaningful interview for me to be able to have to circle back a decade later, have this full circle moment with you. Just very, very profound for me. And just 
thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for walking the path and doing it in just such a beautiful, loving, kind, generous way. And for being a, a guiding light and, and teacher for me. And I'm so glad that we've stayed connected throughout these years. And, and thank you for all your energy and time today on Ceremony Circle. Thank you, Allison. And thank you for just bringing this courageous message of power and just being who you are and listening, listening to that inner voice, no matter what it's saying and heeding it, because it will take you great places. <laughs> Amen. All right. Okay, everyone. Thank you so much and sharing space in this extra meaningful ceremonial time today. We are officially closing and sealing off this incredible circle. But remember, you can come back to it at any time to voyage with us fully again, but especially if you want to um, journey again with Sarah and her guidance. See you next time. Woo, what a powerful voyage that was. It is just my greatest honor. It brings me so much joy and activates and lights up my soul to be able to sit with these incredible embodied, true spiritual masters and leaders from all over the world. I ask that you please, if you feel called, continue to support them and their work in whatever way that feels aligned for you please go to my website where all the show notes are listed, www.allisoncharles.com. That's www.allisoncharles.com so that you can access their direct links to their website and social media platforms and additional information about them. And remember, what makes Ceremony Circle so unique is that at the end of every single episode, as you just experienced, we immerse in a powerful ceremony, ritual, invocation, prayer, spiritual song, some sort of activation that the guest feels called to offer on that day. So listen to your intuition. If at any point, Moving forward, you feel called to come back and re-immerse in this guided ceremonial experience, do so. Because I guarantee every single time you experience it, you will receive a new medicine transmission, a new awareness, a new awakening aspect within your soul. It has been an honor voyaging with you. Please keep the Ceremony Circle community vibes growing and activating find me on Instagram at I am Allison Charles. And let me know how you enjoyed this episode. Let me know how you are creating your own sacred ceremony circle space. Tag those in your soul fam who are immersing in the ceremony circle episodes and experiences with you. And let's unite in the next episode coming out next week so we can continue to activate the consciousness energies of planet Earth and the universes. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only, and my intention is not to provide medical advice or diagnosis. You should always consult a health professional before making drastic changes to your diet or lifestyle.